As the light of the day slowly began to fade away, the darkness that quickly descended brought with it a freezing chill that had already frozen a large area of deep water which had been left dormant at the foot of a quarry named the Tim Bobbin Delph. Inside nearby houses, families were in full enjoyment of Christmas cheer, singing and dancing with some preparing themselves for the evening meals. And at number two Park Lane, just on the outskirts of Burnley, this is exactly what was happening within the home owned by Thomas Tattersall. But all the happiness and joyful scenes would soon come to a terrifying end, as, just before 4.30pm on the 26th of December 1887, the lives of one family would be forever changed in the most tragic of ways. The Tim Bobbin Delph was a large disused quarry that was situated only yards away from the Tim Bobbin public house, which itself was located alongside Paddyham Road. Triangular in shape, it contained water that was reportedly 150 foot long and up to 90 foot deep, but in the days leading up to Boxing Day, a severe frost had covered the water with a thin layer of ice. And for two young boys, this was too tempting an opportunity to miss. Just after 4 o'clock in the afternoon, Frank Hartley and his friend Thomas Hewitson, both 12 years old, had ventured into the quarry, and with boys being boys, both were eager to slide onto the ice. Hewitson would be the first to take the lead, stepping out onto the ice closest to the water's edge. Anxiously, he slowly made his way further along, and happy it would be able to take his weight his overconfidence would quickly evaporate as he began to jump to test the strength of the ice. Without any warning, the ice suddenly gave way, plunging Hewitson into the freezing cold water. Hartley, after seeing his friend disappear below the surface of the ice, quickly went to his rescue. Unfortunately, this would also prove to be a mistake, as he himself would end up in the water. Stood on the water's edge was another boy by the name of Michael Davenport, who was 14 years of age and who lived nearby at Greenhall Street. And after witnessing the horrifying scenes occurring in front of him, he rushed to the house of Thomas Tattersall at number 2 Park Lane. Inside were Ezra Tattersall, 19 years of age and the son of Thomas. Also inside the house were his brother, Joseph Tattersall, who was aged 17, along with Arthur Barrett, 19, and cousin of the Tattersalls. You had Joseph Barrett who was 44 and father of Arthur and finally we had John Barrett who was aged 43. Upon opening the door to Michael and after seeing him in such a state of panic and upon hearing the news of Hewitson and Hartley struggling in the water, Ezra, Joseph, Arthur, John and Joseph Barrett all fled from the house and quickly made their way along the now frozen and lumpy ground towards the steep sides leaning down into the quarry, which was less than a minute's walk away from their house. Upon arriving at the scene, both Frank and Thomas had managed to keep themselves afloat by holding onto the edge of the ice, but it was quickly evident that they could not hold on for much longer. Joseph Barrett was the first to go out onto the ice, but his nephew Ezra Tattersall urged him to get off the now brittle ice. Uncle, come off, the ice will burn me better than you, shouted Ezra. It was too late. The ice gave way under Joseph's feet, sending him plummeting into the water. 
Not giving any thought to his own safety, Ezra immediately fled towards where his uncle had disappeared, only to fall into the water himself. Panicking, Arthur Barrett ran towards the opposite side of the Delph, in the hope of reaching out to both his father, Joseph, and his cousin Ezra, only to share the same fate as the two men. John Barrett and Joseph Tattersall, seeing the horror unfolding in front of them, would also attempt to reach out and grab the hands of those now suffering in the ice-cold water. But it was all to no avail, and just as had happened to Joseph Barrett, Ezra and Arthur, both John and Joseph would also find themselves at the mercy of the Delph. Other people had by now arrived at the Delph, with some more than willing to put their own lives in danger. One of them was Mr Morani Proctor, a retired schoolmaster who lived in nearby Park Lane. On hearing of the news in the Delph, he took hold of a rope and made his way to the scene. Upon his arrival, he saw John Barrett, who had managed to keep himself afloat, and without a second's thought, Proctor threw the rope towards him. However, John, who was suffering from the effects of the cold water, shouted, I'm done for! I cannot get hold of it! Frantically splashing in the water, John would quickly use the remaining energy he had, trying desperately to grab hold of the rope before succumbing to the cold. Mr Alfred Lonsdale, who had been alerted to the incident within the Delph, had made his way down, carrying with him a rope and a clothes prop. But as he made his way tentatively across the ice, just as he had done with the five brave men before him, it gave way, sending him crashing into the water. However, and luckily for him, the water wasn't as deep, with his feet quickly finding the bottom, and whilst the waterline was up to his neck, he managed to throw the rope towards Frank and Thomas. Alfred slowly pulled Frank along the ice and towards safety. Using the close prop, he then proceeded to bring Thomas safely over the ice. Both boys were by now suffering from the effects of the water, numb with not only the cold, but numb from the fear and chaos they had just witnessed. As for the five family members who had desperately tried in vain to help the two young boys, Ezra and Joseph Tattersall, Arthur, Joseph and John Barrett, they would all sadly drown that evening. Their bodies would be pulled from the water at various times throughout the night, with Arthur Barrett being the first at around 6 o'clock in the evening. John Barrett would be the next to be removed at around 7 o'clock, followed by Ezra Tattersall at 8 o'clock, Joseph Tattersall at 9 o'clock, and Joseph Barrett sometime around 10.30pm. Ezra's body was discovered with a rope still tied around his waist, whilst his brother, Joseph, was found with a rope around his right hand. At the inquest that would take place at the Tim Bobbin Public House, it would take place on Wednesday 28th of December 1887. Sergeant Kant would tell the jury that he was present when all the bodies were pulled from the Delph. After giving details as to the time when each body was removed, he then described the depth of the water as being between 10 and 12 feet deep. He would also tell the jury that the watches on the deceased had all stopped at around 4.35pm. Thomas Tattersall, father of Ezra and Joseph, was visibly distraught throughout the proceedings and had to be supported, and yet he still managed to find the courage to describe in detail the events leading up to the deaths of his two sons, telling the jury that he had seen them run from the house at around 4.30pm and never saw either of them alive again. After hearing all the evidence, the coroner, Mr H.J. Robinson, said that the only verdict there the jury could return was that of accidentally drowning and that the deceased men seemed to have lost their heads in the face of danger. Mr T. G. Sandy, foreman of the jury, 
asked for a private consultation with the jury and upon their return they returned a verdict of death by drowning on all victims. He would also add that in their opinion the pit in which the drownings took place should be filled at once up to the level of the water. Mr Ford, acting on behalf of Sir Utrid K Shuttleworth, owner of the quarry, agreed, saying Mr Shuttleworth would be glad to carry out any recommendations of the jury. On conclusion of the inquest into the deaths of the five men, a committee was appointed with a view to arranging an appeal to help the families of those who had sadly perished. Thomas Sandy, former of the jury, read out a statement which read, By the accident, Mr and Mrs Tattersall were derived of the two breadwinners of the family, their two sons, Ezra and Joseph, having lost their lives in the heroic attempt to save the lives of others. Mr and Mrs Tattersall are now without any means of subsistence and have a family of ten children depending upon them. Mrs Barrett, the widow of Joseph Barrett, who lost his life on the same occasion, and her child also in need of assistance. A committee has been formed, consisting of Alderman Noel, councillors Yates and Williams, Messrs A. Cheshire, T. Holden and T. G. Sandy, to distribute any subscriptions the public may favour them with. The funeral of the five brave men who perished while trying to save the two boys took place on Thursday 29th of December at Burnley Cemetery. It's obvious to say that the deep sympathy in the town and the district was very much in attendance, and as the funeral procession made its way towards the cemetery, blinds were drawn along Padium, Burnley Barracks and all along Accrington Road, with hundreds of mourners filling the streets. Men lifted their hats and bowed their heads as the cortege passed them by. Inside the cemetery, over 3,000 more people had already arrived to pay their final respects, and by 3.40pm the cortege finally arrived. Reverend W. Riley gave a brief but powerful speech, which included him saying that these five men were not men who had poisoned the moral atmosphere, and it was always a perplexing thought that it should come to pass that the good, pure and promising should be cut down, whilst the unworthy were still kept living. A white flower was placed upon the lid of each coffin, a tribute to the nobility of their lives. The solemn service was concluded by people singing Give Me the Wings of Faith to Rise and a prayer by the Reverend W. Briscombe. The coffins were then removed from the chapel and carried by associates of each of the men to their final resting places. The two tattersalls were lowered into one grave with John Barrett and his son into another. Joseph Barrett was lowered into a third grave with all three coffins finally being laid to rest side by side. At the graveside, a painful scene was caused when the sister of Ezra and Joseph fainted, showing all the signs of intense grief. The committee that had been set up to help raise funds to help the families of the deceased would soon begin to receive funds from many people within the neighbouring towns. Many events were set up to also help raise much-needed funds, with one being a local football match between Burnley and Accrington Football Club. It was unanimously agreed that the match should take place at Turf Moor, home of Burnley Football Club. Along with this and many other events taking place, by the end of February 1888 and just seven weeks after the dreadful events that had taken place at the Tim Bobbin Quarry, over £460 had been raised, the equivalent of £70,611 in today's value.
So many thanks for listening to this tragic and disturbing case, a sad one at that. Five innocent men losing their lives to try and save two young boys who, at the end of the day, were simply out having some fun. We all know the tragedies, obviously, of quarries and ice, and the two just don't mix. And in this case, this is a warning that echoes from our dark past to those children and to those people in today's society who still wish to investigate and roam these dangerous places. Let it be a warning to all those who may be listening to this podcast. But in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. Please don't forget to comment down below, especially if you're listening to this podcast from our website at www.daysofhorror.com. And in the meantime, as I always say, take care, look after yourselves, and I'll be back soon with another tale from our dark but disturbing past.